Welcome to Dinger Derby, the only podcast completely devoted to Texas Tech baseball. Join your host, Keith Patrick, every week for team news, guests, ranking updates, and game reports from opening weekend all the way through Omaha. We'll be hitting taters with the Red Raiders all season long. This is Dinger Derby. Welcome into Dinger Derby, the only podcast devoted 100% to Texas Tech baseball. Red Raider fans, we have made it. Opening weekend is upon us. I'm your host, Keith Patrick. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for tuning in to Dinger Derby. I want to say a brief thank you as I've seen these download numbers increase. I've seen you telling your friends. I've seen new follows on Twitter, new interactions on Facebook. I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Seeing those of you that are in Flint, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, and Hong Kong, and the San Francisco Bay Area, and all around the country, seeing you tune in to Dinger Derby, I I so appreciate that, and appreciate your interest in Texas Tech Red Raider Baseball and your willingness to give me a chance. So please help continue spreading the word about the podcast, continue sharing social media posts, telling friends, love to get some reviews on iTunes. That really does help folks find the podcast, but thank you again for tuning in. I want to dive into the news, talk about a couple things with you, and then we'll look ahead to the Oregon Ducks, who the Red Raiders will be hosting this weekend at Dan Law Field at Rip Griffin Park. I wanted to start off really briefly and just flat out say that I'm not here to be an expert and I'm not going to pretend to be one. I'm not a coach. I'm not a scout. I'm really not anything in between. I'm just a fan, just like most of you. I'm a fan of baseball. I'm a fan of college baseball, of Texas Tech. I spend some of my time involved with radio for high school baseball, and I really enjoy being around the sport in another way. But my commitment to you is that I'll be here talking about Texas Tech baseball, keeping up with it through the week, doing my homework, attending or watching every game that I possibly can. And then I just want to bring you the news, bring you interviews and my own opinions. I want to bring you perspective on the season. And maybe I can be a one-stop shop for you once a week to get a recap from the previous weekend and midweek and get a little bit of information about the upcoming series. I understand we're busy. Life is tough. We're all over the place, all over the country and the world. And sometimes you just need to get a little bit of news and then move on because you know you won't get to keep up until things start heating up in conference play or things start heating up in the postseason. I understand that. So I want to be here for that for you. So please interact with me on Twitter. Send me an email at dinger underscore derby at outlook.com. I'm happy to answer questions, to look for answers to questions if there are things that you're curious about. If you disagree with me, please feel free to interact with me. At the end of the day, whether we agree or disagree, the worst thing that can happen is that we're going to get to talk about baseball one way or the other, and that's the whole reason I'm here. So I do appreciate all of you and appreciate the feedback and excitement I've seen so far. I know it's only going to get better. I wanted to cover one national story in college baseball just briefly, explain a little bit to you, and encourage you to read something. I'll actually link this in the show notes, but Aaron Fitt from D1Baseball.com released a really solid column that was kind of an open letter to the Big Ten for something that occurred over the last few days. If you're not aware, in April, the NCAA Board of Directors will be voting to authorize a third assistant coach in college baseball and softball. Currently, There are only three paid coaches on college baseball and softball teams. So there's the head coach, there's generally an assistant coach of some kind, and there's usually a pitching coach. Every team does that differently, but head coach and two paid assistants, then there's a volunteer assistant that is unpaid. And currently for Texas Tech, that volunteer assistant is Eric Gutierrez. 
So what the idea is, is to turn that volunteer assistant into a full-time paid assistant coach, you know, pay them a living wage, pay them $50,000 a year, give them some benefits and allow them to get out on the recruiting trail, which is something they can't do right now. Now it's interesting. Those assistant coaches are young, former players generally, or someone that's trying to get into college coaching. They may be getting a graduate degree, something of that nature, but they're not allowed to go on the recruiting trail, which is valuable experience. They're not able to gain while they're that volunteer coach. So it makes it even more difficult for them to grow and move on in their college coaching career. So by adding that third assistant, you're also investing in a crop of a younger generation of college coaches that can continue to advance the game forward. And both softball and baseball are really in a strong position. They're gaining a lot more eyeballs, a lot more interest, larger fan bases, and that's a real positive for college athletics and for college baseball. So unfortunately, what we've seen in the last few days, Big Ten athletic directors voted 13 to 1 to oppose the third paid assistant coach in college baseball. Now, the Big Ten is a difficult place to play college baseball because of the schedule, because starting in mid-February, their fields are still under snow and ice. I know it's not the Big Ten, but it's the same area. We saw a tweet from the Central Michigan Chippewas this week. A player was sitting in the dugout, and he runs out onto the field and into the infield, but he's using hockey skates to get out there. It's tough for them, and they end up playing long road trips early in the season, generally in the south, and still coming back to cold weather in March and April. So they have a long-standing beef about the time of year that college baseball is played. But at the end of the day, this is a good thing for college baseball when it comes to adding a third assistant. And them opposing that is really frustrating for those that are interested in college baseball as a whole. It's also surprising because their own head coaches voted unanimously to approve it. So what you'll have in April, every conference will have to have one single vote as a conference. So you're looking at even if some change their mind in the Big Ten, you're still probably looking at a no vote coming out of there. And as a Power Five conference, their vote counts more heavily than other conferences do across college baseball. So I encourage you to go read Aaron Fitz's article. I'll put that in the show notes on stakingtheplanes.com and dingerderbypodcast.com, and you can learn a little bit more about it. So some other news that has some Texas Tech implications. The company that's planning the Frisco College Classic has announced the Round Rock Classic. That'll be coming out in 2020. It's going to feature Texas Tech, the University of Tennessee, the University of Houston, and Stanford University. And it'll be played at Dell Diamond in Austin, which is the home of the AAA Round Rock Express. So that's exciting to see some more good, solid tournament play coming up in the Red Raiders future. I don't know if they'll also be playing in the Frisco tournament as well as the Round Rock tournament. Normally don't see two tournaments come up that way, but could be interesting. Definitely something to keep an eye on. It's always just fun to see these pop up in the future. As I've mentioned before, in 2021, we know that Texas Tech will be playing at the new Globe Life Park when it opens in a tournament there. And many of the teams in that tournament are recent College World Series teams as well. Another thing that happened this week, you may or may not have seen if you're a fan of Texas Tech basketball, Tim Tadlock was the guest on Chris Beard's Fireside Chat, and the best way that I can describe this to you is pure gold. I know most of us that are fans of Texas Tech baseball, when you hear Tim Tadlock speak, you just sit back and enjoy it. He's a lot of fun to listen to. He gets on his own rabbit trails and kind of runs all over the place, but it's fun. It's interesting. He loves baseball, and he'll tell you all about it. He had some solid food takes. Chris Beard asked him for some of those takes. Basically, my takeaways from that is Tim Tadlock wants to eat gravy on everything. He only needs three ingredients on nachos, chips, cheese, and jalapenos. 
and maybe most importantly, possibly controversially, Tim Tadlock's favorite baseball movie is The Sandlot. Sandlot holds a special place in my heart. I saw that one in the theater as a kid. I'm sure I'll watch it at least five times during baseball season. But there's some others up there for me, too. I'm sure one day we'll get into a baseball movie ranking situation. I'll be asking for some of yours. But we're not going to do that today. So I wanted to wrap up awards a little bit that we've seen come through. There have been a lot of them throughout the season. I'm not going to go back and repeat the ones we've already talked about. just going to talk about the new ones that have come out over the last week. Josh Young has been named to the Golden Spikes Award preseason watch list. If you're not familiar with Golden Spikes, it's joint sponsored by the Major League Baseball Players Association and USA Baseball. Of course, they're familiar with Josh Young. He did play for USA Baseball this summer. There are 55 players included on that list, and Josh Young is one of them. It's a prestigious list to be a part of, and it seeks out to identify and award the best amateur baseball player in America each year. Josh Young was also named number one third baseman in the country on D1 Baseball's top 30 position list for third base, and also was number three on D1 Baseball's top 100 hitters list. That's a pretty solid list of college baseball players that can really rake, and Josh Young was number three on that one. Now, also exciting to see as a Red Raider fan, Cameron Warren was number four on the same list, right there with Josh Young, really high on that top 100 hitters list. Cam Warren was also on D1 Baseball's top 100 seniors list. Cameron Warren was also number eight on D1 Baseball's top 30 first baseman. As Jamie Lent and I talked about, not sure that Cameron Warren will be the Red Raiders' full-time first baseman this season. I think you might see Tanner Otrimba or TJ Rumfield in that position. You may see Cameron Warren in the outfield some early in the season, depending on who's going where. And I think that you may see him settle in at DH, just depending on how he hits. He certainly brings the power, and I think that you could see him take a step forward into double digits and even the mid-teens in his home runs this year. So Gabe Holtz had a lot of activity here in this week as far as awards and lists have gone as well. He was number eight on the D1 Baseball Top Outfielders list. I think that's absolutely a fair place to be for him. Definitely should be in the top 10 with his speed and athleticism and baseball knowledge. Gabe Holt's going to be successful at most positions. I think even the small route running mistakes you saw last season, they were just based on inexperience in the outfield. And I think you'll see Gabe Holt take some major strides out there this year. His speed is going to be an asset. I think he'll be in one of the corner outfield spots for the Red Raiders this season. And you're really going to see him shine out there. Max Marshock and Cody Masters also appeared on that top outfielders list, which was nice to see them get some recognition there, especially since we haven't seen either of them play. Obviously, Marshock is a freshman, haven't seen him play at all at the college level, and Masters very limited time and then dealt with injuries throughout the season. Gabe Holt was also listed as number 37 on D1 Baseball's top 100 hitters list. I think that's pretty good. Still, in my mind, a little bit low. Now, this was all analytics-based, and so I generally trust their judgment, and they were solely looking at analytics there. I definitely think with the number of hits, run scored, his slugging percentage, I think that you'll see Gabe Holt take a step forward as a hitter this season. And he still, as a leadoff hitter, I don't think you could have asked much more of him when it came to what he did at the plate for you, and you may actually get more this season. Now, one ranking that I don't agree with, and I had a little bit of exchange with them on Twitter about it, Baseball America listed Gabe Holt as number 28 on their list of top sophomores in America. Now, I know that that doesn't look that bad, but to be number 28 within his own class seems a little bit low to me. In my interaction with them, they sent me a link to their 
top 25 preview of Texas Tech. And in that story, they called Gabe Holt one of the most dynamic players in all of college baseball. So I'm not sure how you can call someone one of the most dynamic players in all of college baseball while also ranking them almost 30th just within their class. I mean, we're not talking about making him top 50 in the entire draft class. We're talking about 30 in the sophomores in college baseball. Seems a little bit low to me. Doesn't seem like it's really respecting what he brought to the table. He was also a unanimous freshman All-American in the Big 12 Freshman of the Year last year. I think Gabe Holt probably deserves a little bit more respect than 28, but I can guarantee you that he will play with a chip on his shoulder based on all of these things. So I'm excited to see what he'll do this season. Brian Klein got a little bit of love this week as well on these lists. He was number 10 on the top second baseman list. When I tweeted that out, I said, and and I do believe it, that Brian Klein's sneaky athletic. I think that he doesn't get enough credit for his athleticism. He's got good speed for his size, and he is kind of a doubles-hitting machine. He's done a good job at the plate for the Red Raiders. He was number 38 on the top 100 hitters list right there with Gabe Holt. I think that Brian Klein will also take a step forward. He's been a solid second baseman for the Red Raiders. He has a solid bat, a good approach at the plate. I think he's going to be somebody you're going to enjoy watching this year because it could be a breakout for him. D1 Baseball also released their top 350 2019 MLB draft prospects. They projected Josh Young in the first round, Caleb Freeman, John McMillan, and Gabe Holt all in the fourth round, Caleb Killian in the fifth round, and Kurt Wilson in the seventh round. So nice to see that. Several players already getting some early love. That's six guys that you're definitely going to see a lot of this season. That's way down the road, obviously, but interesting to see them as they come out and see what some of these national services think of them. Now, in the D1 Baseball Top 150 2020 prospects, you actually saw Bryce Bonin and then Cody Masters get a little bit of love on that list. I think that's interesting. There's a lot of expectation for Bryce Bonin. I'm curious to see how he fits in with this Red Raider bullpen, if he earns himself a starting role, what that would look like in the rotation. And then also Cody Masters, I feel like he may end up playing one of the corner outfield spots for you as well. Definitely going to bring a lot of speed. If you end up with a Masters, Marshock, Holt outfield, you could have the fastest outfield in college baseball. You are not going to see a lot of balls hit the turf out there. So definitely excited to see what they're going to do. D1Baseball.com also released a top 100 impact freshman list. Now, Texas Tech had more players on that list than any other school in the country. They had six. So Max Marshock, the outfielder out of Amarillo, he was 10th on that list. Mason Montgomery, the left-handed pitcher, was 36th. Tanner O'Trimba was on there. Cole Stilwell, who I think will probably be your starting catcher this season at some point. Drew Baker on that list. And then Micah Dallas, the right-handed pitcher on that list. So this kind of ranking is 100% indicative of the job that J. Bob Thomas is doing as recruiting coordinator for the Red Raiders. He's tireless on the trail. He does a fantastic job finding talent, getting out there and talking with these guys, meeting them, investing in them, meeting their families, and doing what he's supposed to do as a recruiter. So just huge props to him for the job he's doing out there. This class is going to be a serious impact on this season and next season as well for the Red Raiders. Now, the last two things I'll talk about are just silly at this point, but they're kind of fun to look at. Both D1 Baseball and Baseball America have projected the field of 64 for the NCAA tournament. Now, I know that's ridiculous. Haven't even played game one yet, but it's fun things that you do. This is what happens in opening week. You just get list after list, and it's interesting to watch. 
D1 Baseball projects Texas Tech as a number three national seed. And in that regional in Lubbock, they are projected to host Arizona State, New Mexico State, and Wake Forest. Now, I know at this point you're probably thinking, Keith, why are you talking about this? This is stupid. It's so far away. I'm talking about it because I wanted to mention the other one. Baseball America projected their field of 64. They projected Texas Tech as a number eight national seed, and they projected them hosting New Mexico State, Arizona, and the fight in Texas A&M Aggies. Now, that would be something. To finally get Texas A&M back in Lubbock at Dan Law Field at Rip Griffin Park, that would be something worth the price of admission. So just want to throw that one out there, make sure that it's been heard. Thank you for letting me jump into the NCAA tournament a little bit. I know that's random. So let's look ahead to the Oregon Ducks. They're coming to Lubbock. They'll be at Dan Law Field at Rip Griffin Park for a four-game series from February 15th to 18th. The Friday game's at 2 p.m., the Saturday game's at 12 p.m. Both of those games can be seen on Texas Tech TV. Now, if you haven't checked out Texas Tech TV, I've mentioned it before. I think it's $9.95 a month. It's available on Roku and Apple TV. Just a great way to watch baseball. It's a solid production. They do a good job with it. If you're not going to be able to watch it any other way, it's a good option. And really, with the number of games throughout each month, it breaks out to like two bucks a game or so. So it's really a pretty good deal over the course of the baseball season. Sunday, the game will be at 4 p.m. That'll be available on Fox Southwest Plus. And on Monday, the game's at 1 p.m. Now, a couple things about those game times. The weather looks absolutely beautiful for this weekend. High of 74 on Friday, 68 on Saturday. Sunday, it dips down to 53, and the lows start getting in the 20s. And on Monday, the high is going to only be 44. So there's a potential you might end up seeing a doubleheader on Saturday or Sunday, depending on what both teams decide to do. I attended the Red Raider Club tailgate dinner at Kegels last week, and Coach Tadlock talked about playing in that cold weather. And in his mind, it's dangerous for pitchers to be throwing in weather that cold. And, and I don't disagree with him by any means. I'm not trying to argue with that. But when a coach has that mentality of taking care of players, of thinking about their future, not wanting to pitch them in cold weather if they could avoid it, there's a potential that you might see Saturday or Sunday become a doubleheader and avoid that Monday game. I will say selfishly, I have my fingers crossed for that one. Because of work responsibilities, I would not be able to go to Monday. So I would love to get this four-game series done over the weekend. Now, a little bit about Oregon. They have 14 conference titles under their belt in their history. They started playing baseball way back in the World War I era, early 1900s, 19-teens. Their last conference title, however, was in 1957. They have made seven NCAA tournament appearances, starting in 1954, the most recent being in 2015, and they went to the College World Series once, and that was in 1954. Now, they're not a bad team, but they're certainly not a great one. They were 26 and 29 in 2018. They were 12 and 18 in the Pac-12. Their RPI was a 98, strength of schedule somewhere around a 43, and their final rank for the season was number 85, and I'm using some composites for that. Their head coach's name is George Horton, and it's his 11th season at Oregon. Now, you can imagine, just to put them in perspective, Oregon State has been one of the most dominant teams in college baseball since the early to mid-2000s. So with that in mind, at least in the baseball world, Oregon is the little brother of the Oregon State Beavers when it comes to this in-state rivalry. So 
So you get excited to see a Power 5 team come to town, but don't get them confused. It's certainly not Oregon State. This is not a power team. They did make a good run of NCAA tournament appearances between 2010 and 15, but they've missed the last three in a row, and they have some struggles going on. They probably will take a step forward this season, and I will say Baseball America has them projected as one of the last four teams in on the NCAA tournament. So as I said, they made the tournament five out of six seasons from 2010 to 2015, but they've now missed it three in a row. In 2018, their pitching staff had a 460 combined ERA. That was about 126th in the country. They just haven't been able to put together a strong staff in the last few seasons. They're either struggling in the rotation or from the bullpen, one or the other, generally not both at one time. They definitely have more capable pitching than they have in recent years, and they do have some pretty electric freshmen. So they could be a saltier team than 2018 suggests. So I'm I'm not saying to write them off by any means. I definitely think this is four W's for the Red Raiders, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they're without talent. So from a pitching standpoint, the first person I would look for is a junior right-hander named Kenyon Yovan. He will probably anchor their rotation. I would assume he'll be their Friday starter. He posted a 197 ERA and 15 saves as a freshman, and he was a pretty dominant closer in that role. He transitioned into a starter reliever last season as a sophomore. He went 6-4 and four with a 298 ERA, and then he spent the summer in the Cape Cod League and with Team USA. He will be the ace of this rotation, absolutely. He has four solid or better pitches that he's throwing for strikes, so definitely someone to look for. He will be a tough test for most likely game one of this series. There's also a junior named Ryan Nelson. He was a starting shortstop last season, but then he brought 32 innings off the mound. This year, he's focused entirely on pitching. His heater's in the mid to upper 90s. He's pretty salty with that. He's got a passable slider and a changeup to complement that cheddar. And then there's a sophomore named Cullen Kafka, who's also a right-hander. He should fill out the rest of their normal pitching rotation. Don't forget, though, this is a four-game series, so you'll probably see lefty Colby Summers in that four-starter role, uh, which they'll need against Tech, either in a doubleheader over the weekend or, or on Monday. They've got a left-hander named Nico Talach. He'll probably be locking down the closer role. And then Hunter Brault is a power reliever. He's got mid-90s heat. He's got a strong splitter. Now, you're probably going to see a lot more. I think with the power that the Red Raiders are going to bring to the plate this season, you are going to see an explosion of offense probably a saltier offense than you saw in the 2018 season. And the Red Raiders are really going to push teams and get deep into their bullpens. So it could be a a series where you see a lot of runs and where you see a lot of pitchers from the Oregon side. So at the plate, the Ducks have only had one player with a batting average above 278 last season. His name is Jacob Goldfarb. He had a slash line of 308, 397, 487. Now, the team slash line for the Ducks was one of the worst in Division I baseball, 239, 337, 332. So that's national rankings of 280th, 259th, and 281st, respectively. So not a great hitting team, at least not last year. Goldfarb led that way. There are some expectations for sophomore center fielder Johnny DeLuca. He hit 293 in the Cape over the summer and really proved himself against some pretty elite talent. He'll be key to offensive success for this team, and he brings a lot of energy as well. He's one of those players that will hype it up. In the field, Oregon's added a lot of strong freshmen that'll be battling for playing time really all over the infield and in the outfield corners. 
the Red Raiders will probably see a lot of experimentation and a lot of faces through their four-game stand with Oregon. And honestly, Oregon will probably see that from Texas Tech as well. Uh, certainly early in last season, I talked about this with Jamie Lent, you saw Kurt Wilson play almost every position on the field. You saw Cody Masters. You saw Casey Simonich. You saw a lot of guys kind of moving in and out, trying to get some time, getting some opportunities. Really, though, the position that Tim Tadlock and company are in now This team is so deep. There are so many guys with talent and athleticism and speed and ability at the plate and ability to play multiple positions. I think it will be difficult for players to to get too slumpy. They're going to have to make the most of their opportunities because there's always going to be one, two, maybe more guys behind them that are ready to jump in and play the game. So I think you'll see some competition, which is good and healthy for this baseball team to have that opportunity, especially early in the season to feel out who's going to be the guy in the different roles. So that's really the overview that I have for you of Oregon. There's some positives on their team. They have some solid talent. They're going to be a better team than they were in 2018, 17, or 16. I think that you'll see them take a step forward from a pitching standpoint. They are not an elite team. I just don't see them getting one from Texas Tech, certainly not an opening weekend at home. I think it's going to be four W's for the Red Raiders. That's my prediction, and that's what I'm hoping to see. I think that the Red Raiders this season will have the pitching to handle a team like this because I think they're going to have the pitching to handle teams at a much higher level uh, than the Ducks are. All right, well, I want to wrap the show up as I have before with your questions. This is Throwing Chad with Raider Red. This guy's a first ball fastball hitter. He's looking for heat. Oh, yeah? So what? He ain't seen my heat. Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. Dad's father gave it to him. Babe Ruth signed that ball. Babe Ruth! You may not look like a winning team, but you are one. So, play like one tonight. All right, I got a few questions from Twitter. I want to dive into them and get this thing wrapped up. Brian Don Carlos, I need to make sure that I've said thank you to him. If you haven't seen his stuff on stakingtheplanes.com, I encourage you to go look it up. He makes posters throughout football season for Texas Tech's opponents. He designed the Dinger Derby logo. He went through several iterations with me, did a lot of work on it, really put some thought into it. I really appreciate him. I absolutely love that logo. I think it's pretty cool and makes this thing look a lot more legit than I'm able to do just by talking. So I want to say thanks to Brian Don Carlos. His question was, I was really interested to hear about the scholarship limits and how many players were in fall camp. Could you talk more on the recruiting transfer ecosystem? So I'm not an expert in this by any means. I did a little bit of research, and then I'll tell you kind of what I know. So transfer rules apply the same as any other NCAA sport. So eligibility depends on where you're going, whether it's D1, 2, 3, or a JUCO, or if you're a grad transfer or released from mitigating circumstances. So that has been one wrinkle we've seen in NCAA sports over the last couple of years. A player can transfer out and then appeal to the NCAA with a lawyer. And based on any sort of things that could have happened, whether it was racist comments, mistreatment, recruiting violations that they were a part of, whatever it is, claim that mitigating circumstance that it could have damaged their career or whatever it may be. And often they're allowed to play immediately. So Texas Tech has seen two players come from Arkansas this season that will be available immediately that were able to transfer that way. And then as with every other sport, you lose a year of eligibility based on transfers or you don't, depending on where you're going or where you came from. In baseball, I think you see a fair bit more JUCO play 
come up into Division One baseball than you do in others. Often in college football, JUCO players are kind of a last resort, filling some holes. In college baseball, often you only get a couple of seasons from even a high school recruit. So a JUCO player coming in for a couple of seasons when they're a little bit older is not necessarily a bad thing. So you do see a little more of those. Zach Reams, for instance, was a JUCO transfer for the Red Raiders. And this season, the player I think will probably be your starting shortstop, Dylan Noisy, also a transfer. As far as recruiting is concerned, uh, in college baseball, it's not crazy. Uh, which I enjoy. So it's a little bit harder to follow. It's not as heavily reported. You don't have as many crazy things going on. But when a player is committed verbally to a college in college baseball, they're committed. It's very, very rare for them to change that commitment, for them to jump ship on someone unless there's a coaching change or some other circumstance at a college that drives them away. And when a player's committed, other schools stay away. So there's quite a bit of that in college basketball as far as once a player's committed, some other schools usually do back off. But in college baseball, that really is kind of the unwritten rule that has stood the test of time that players are not pilfered from other programs. There's a lot of baseball talent in this country. There are 299 Division I programs. There's really a lot for everyone. And if you do start getting into cutthroat competition, I think it can really dirty up the sport. And we see that in other sports. And I think there's an argument to be made against the way recruiting goes in some other sports. So that's how it looks from my perspective in college baseball. I could be wrong or have many other wrinkles that I didn't cover, but that's where I'm at. Ty Hanners on Twitter asked, who will be Tech's top reliever this season? So this is obviously a huge question. The biggest question mark on this team is the bullpen. That's not to say there aren't quality arms out there. It's just we haven't seen much of them yet. So you have a lot of arm talent on this team. You just don't know exactly where they are, whether they're coming back from injury or they're freshmen. You're just not exactly sure what you've got. Between Ty Harpnow, Dylan Dusek, Ryan Shetter, and Jose Cazada, the Red Raiders are going to be replacing 90 combined appearances out of the bullpen this season. That is a huge number to replace, but there is just a stack of talent there that can potentially do that. So I expect Caleb Freeman and Erickson Lanning to take big steps forward. Lanning's coming back from injury. I think he has a lot to prove. He may not be quite ready to break into the starting rotation, but I think he'll be a reliable, regular guy out of the bullpen for you. Somebody that you're comfortable seeing come out there, eat up some innings and protect a win. When it comes to Caleb Freeman, he had a huge summer in the Cape Cod League. For him to take a big step forward will really be saying something. He had a solid season last year, generally was pretty consistent for the Red Raiders. If you're not familiar with the Cape Cod League, I mention it quite a bit. I mean, it's the best of the best summer leagues in the country. I mean, it's elite competition there. And he did well and made some waves. There were some national folks paying attention to him. If he can get back to finding 98 miles per hour consistently, which he did find it last season, I think that he could really be a big, serious weapon out of the bullpen for the Red Raiders. He was throwing 96 over the summer. He generally sits kind of 94 to 96. If he starts building that strength and he retains his command and control, he could be really something special for the Red Raiders this season. There are just so many guys out there. It's difficult to think about where are they all going to fit? What are their roles going to be? You have guys like Bryce Bonin coming in. You've got Mason Montgomery, Micah Dallas, Noah Huerta, Garrett Cobb, Kurt Wilson, Connor Queen. Like, There's just so many of these pitchers. 
they're stacked up out there. They're going to find some roles. Some of them are freshmen and they're going to need a little bit of time to develop. But there's a lot of guys out there that I think you're going to see fighting for starting positions and then also claiming positions as relievers, as closers. Don't forget about Jake McDonald also coming back from injury. Fiery personality, definitely a guy that could be a closer. Huge arm coming out of high school. I mean, Clayton Beater, somebody we haven't seen, big-time recruit. Would love to see him healthy and, and back on the mound for the Red Raiders as well. So lots of opportunity there, but thank you for the question, Ty. Justin Dorsey asks, what's your prediction for non-conference record? I did include midweek games, those non-conference midweek games. I did not include the postseason. Texas Tech was 24-6 and in regular season non-conference play last year. You've got some stiff competition this season. You've got a full series with Kentucky, although it is in Lubbock. New Mexico, you play them often in midweeks. They can reel off crazy runs in some of those games, depending on what pitching you put out there. Those are some games where Red Raiders have scored 25 runs and New Mexico has been in the teens. You've got the Michigan Stetson weekend, which is a weird five-game weekend. That's a tough one as well. Tim Tadlock explained some of this at the baseball tailgate the other night and talked about trying to get as many games over the weekend as you could in non-conference so you could avoid having two-game midweek series throughout conference play, which makes an awful lot of sense. Those Tuesday and Wednesday games can wear on you when you turn around and have to play a conference series that weekend, sometimes on the road. So I could definitely see trying to get those in, but but they give you a tall order, whether it's at home or on the road. I mean, five games in a weekend against quality competition. Stetson was a super regional team last year. Michigan's projected to be in the field of 64 this season. I think it could be a little bit of a crapshoot, and it's tough. Anybody that can make money betting on baseball deserves a pat on the back. I have no idea how to predict baseball. It's just a crazy game. That's why I love it. I don't like predicting it a whole lot, but to answer your question, Justin, when I look at it, I think that your regular season non-conference record is probably going to be around 26-5. and five. I went through and kind of looked and thought, who may steal a couple here and there? You're always going to drop a couple midweek games that are just frustrating. Dallas Baptist late in the season last year comes to mind, just a frustrating loss. Sometimes teams just get hot in baseball or you go cold for a night, just the way baseball goes. So I could definitely see that happening. So our friends over there, Spencer and Michael, the 23 Personnel Podcast, ask, who leads the team this season in offensive categories? So I broke those down a little bit. He gave me some some on the list. I added a couple. I think Josh Young is your batting average leader, and he's your on-base percentage leader. I think that that goes without saying. I think he's going to take big steps forward as a hitter this season, which is saying something for somebody who already rakes. He could have a 400 season. He's been very close before. I think he also will probably be tied up with Cam Warren fighting for home run leader. I really think you're going to see Cam Warren get into the mid-teens. I think Josh Young can get in the mid-teens as well. Zach Reams hit 18 home runs for you last season. You need someone to pick up that slack. I definitely think that Gabe Holt is someone that you're going to see step up into the double digits for sure, possibly more in home runs. But I think you'll see Cam Warren and Josh Young kind of fighting for that top home run spot. Speaking of Gabe Holt, I think he's going to be your hits leader. He was really close to Josh Young in total hits. I think he's going to be your stolen base leader again. You're going to see him just wreak havoc on the base paths. A year older, that little bit more experience, you're going to see it that much better, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Plus, you have more speed on the base paths in the rest of the lineup than you've had before, which helps him have a teammate in havoc wreaking out there. And then I think Gabe Holt will probably lead in runs scored as well. He might lead the country in runs scored. He was pretty close 
between his hitting and the speed and then the hitting that'll be around him in the lineup, I think that there could be a lot of those runs scored. And my last one and my favorite, hit by pitch. I think Cam Warren's going to lead the nation in hit by pitches. He basically led the country for half the season last year on the main series alone as many times as they hit him. And the last question I got, I thought it was a little bit of a personal one, so it was kind of fun to end on. What's been your favorite park to see a game at, Dan Law aside? So I'm not a guy that's been to every Major League Baseball park. I've been to, to a fair number. I've been to a few. Had a couple cool road trips that kind of fit in with that story, but... I've always been a big fan of the ballpark at Arlington. My first Major League Baseball game was there. My first playoff game was there. I love that classic design, the Nolan statue. I like the natural music you know, for the home runs. I like looking out and seeing the freeze across those columns from left center to right center. I think it's a pretty ballpark. I like the home run porch. I will mention TD Ameritrade was an awesome experience. Going out there to Omaha seeing the games there. The final game of that series, we got to sit behind the plate. We had uh, some pretty solid tickets for that last game with Florida. As that game kind of closed out, my friends and I moved all the way down to the bottom. So I'll put it on the podcast post on stakingtheplanes.com and dingerderbypodcast.com. We're there behind Cody Farhat in that last at bat. You can see us right there in the front row. And that was fun. It was just a beautiful ballpark. It's new. It has uh, it has some great amenities. The concessions are great. And it's just a great look. You're sitting there in college baseball. The lights are fairly unique. And in that final game, I mean, that ballpark was packed. It looked like standing room only. So pretty cool to be in there with 25,000 people just for college baseball. And the neat thing about the College World Series is a lot of people are, are rooting for teams from schools they didn't go to. They came to root for a different team, and they're still there. Or they're locals that just pick a team to roll with, and they go with that. Uh, or some folks just come every year. We ran into some Aggies that come every year and sit in their season ticket seats and just enjoy baseball. And that's a, a really neat thing about it. So I would say ballpark in Arlington for me, TD Ameritrade. I don't remember the name now, but it used to be U.S. Cellular where the White Sox play. Had some pretty cool things going on there as well. But I could talk about ballparks all day. I could talk about baseball all day. I will close it out with one cheesy thing. You know, anytime you're watching baseball, it's a good time. So just enjoy it wherever you are. Enjoy it in your recliner. Eat some sunflower seeds. Keep a scorebook. Enjoy it when you're at the park. For me, I like being in the radio booth calling a high school baseball game with the windows open on a nice evening, just watching the pure, honest game play out in front of you. I think that's a lot of fun. I think that's special, and and I'm glad that I'm able to spend some time doing it. Just enjoy baseball. Enjoy it for what it is. Enjoy this season as it comes up, folks. I'll be back in your feed next week. I've got some good guests lined up. I'm going to start getting those interviews done, and we'll start dropping some extra episodes here and there with some interesting interviews for you. Once again, if you want to connect me with anybody, if you want to suggest any guests, please just send those my way at Dinger underscore Derby on Twitter, at Dinger underscore Derby at Outlook.com. Hey, next time, we'll have some baseball to talk about behind us, and we'll have some baseball to talk about in front of us. I'm looking forward to it. Until then, have a great one. Wreck em. Thanks for tuning in to Dinger Derby and sharing our love for Texas Tech Red Raider baseball. You can connect with Keith on Twitter at Dinger underscore Derby and find more Texas Tech sports content at stakingtheplains.com. Help us out by rating us and leaving a review on iTunes. And remember to tell your friends about the show. Keith will be back next week with another episode of Dinger Derby. And until then, wreck em, Tech. Keep your hand on your gun. Don't you trust anyone There's just one kind of man that you can trust
worst that's a day. 